Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 130, Buddhism and the Evolution of Religion. Zen teacher Norman Fisher joins us again to talk about the evolution of religion, and more specifically, the part that Buddhism has to play as consciousness itself evolves. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. recently gave a talk about the evolution of religion. And at first I was going, what does this have to do with Buddhism? And then, then it became clear that, in fact, it was related. And I wondered if you could talk about this developmental schema that you mentioned in that talk by a sociologist named Robert Bella. I was wondering if you could describe that model briefly, because I found it really interesting, and also why you find it valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this connects to something I was saying a little earlier, uh, the fact that Basically, our society has a 19th century idea of what religion is. And there's a lot of talk and a lot of debate and a lot of books written on both sides of this question about religion, but all of them assume, not examining the assumption at all, but assume a 19th century idea of religion. So that got me to thinking, well, you know, religion, like everything else in human society, religion has changed drastically over the millennia. I mean, what was religion like a thousand years ago? How did people understand it a thousand years ago and before that? And how did they understand it a hundred years ago? And how do we need to understand it now and a hundred years from now? So that got me interested in, in researching the idea of how religion has changed. And Robert Bella is a great American sociologist of religion. And he's interesting himself because he's a committed Protestant church-going guy so he has a sympathy for religion as a religious person, as well as as a social scientist, tremendous breadth and intelligence. So I was reading his essay uh, on the evolution of religions and then applying it to my own experience as a person who teaches meditation and, and Buddhism and, and my own speculations as to what religion has to look like uh, in the future and why Buddhism has something to contribute to that. And so it's it's a very kind of a complicated discussion because Bella starts in prehistoric times, you know, in very basic societies, pre-writing. In religions before the revealed religions, before Plato and Aristotle, before the Torah and the Bible, Judaism, Christianity, and so on. And basically, you know, in in earlier religions, there's much more uh, of a connection to the earth and to, in effect, one world, the world of the spirits, the world of the gods, the world of the ancestors, uh, is living now. It's alive now. Our ancestors are here now. Death is not such a big transition. It's a sort of a, almost a mythic life. With the advent of, of writing and texts, you have, and, and this comes out also out of uh, Plato, you have a big gap between the invisible world, the world of God, the world of heaven, and the material world, with a devaluation of the material and natural world, and an elevation of the invisible world, the world of God, 
the world of pure intellectual contemplation, as in Plato. And then this sort of evolves eventually into, uh, you know, Protestantism. There's been a lot written about the relationship between Protestantism and modernity, that it took Protestant ideology to kind of allow modernity to unfold. And, you know, people, uh, the Catholic Church is still kind of trying to deal with, with that. Then you have religious institutions as we've understood them in the last couple of hundred years. But still, there's a big gap between religion and religious life and ordinary life. So I think that religion has to evolve into a position where that gap gets closed. And instead of seeing religion as being in the church and for Sundays and being a private inner part of one's life that really, in a way, doesn't have much to do with daily life, I think we have to evolve into a kind of melding of psychology and religion and and daily life and see that spirituality and our religion is operative every single day. And uh, you can't really have a successful, healthy life in a complicated world and successful, healthy relationships without some serious attention paid to inner life, inner development, and that means spiritual life. So I think all the kind of distinctions and structures, and and as I was saying earlier, you know, the box inside the church, Mm. all that needs to be opened up, and we need to put that together with our ordinary life and with our social life and our personal life and our work life into one whole thing. But that depends on the recognition, and this is really important, that religious truths are not literal, exclusive truths. Somebody could be a complete faithful believer, a believing Catholic, let's say, but they need to understand that that is not a literal and exclusive truth. That's a spiritual truth, and it may have to take other forms. It may take the form of a different religion. It may take the form of another, a whole other formulation of the truth. So in a religious dialogue and understanding and the recognition that all of our religions are languages rather than absolute truths, that needs to be understood. And, and I think that late 20th century or mid to late 20th century language philosophy makes that very, very clear, but it's not clear to average people. And that, that makes all the fighting and all the trouble. Mm. And do you see that as part of this evolutionary Completely. Dis- description? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it may be one of the most important elements of it. I mean, the simple way to look at it is that in religion in the future, its most important component has to be love and radical tolerance for other people's beliefs or lack of them. And by tolerance, I don't mean just tolerating them, but embracing, being able to really appreciate other people's language for spirituality and positions for spirituality. And that, and that's what we don't have now. You know, to me, like I was listening on the radio the other day, there's some Islamic guy has emerged as a Islamic spokesman for creationism. And he's, you know, really adamant about arguing against Darwin and evolution. Darwin and evolution to him are the bad guy because it completely denies that God created the world. Well, to me, when I hear those conversations, I mean, I don't understand what's the problem. You know what I mean? Like, what's the what's the big contradiction between evolution and Darwin and someone who completely believes in God and believes that God created the world? What, what's the contradiction there? 
if you understand God in a sophisticated way and you look at Darwin clearly, where where's the problem? I, I, people are arguing and fussing over something that is a non-event as far as I can tell. That's interesting. It makes me think of a quote from a adult developmental psychologist I like named Robert Keegan where he says that people often have consciousness conversations at cross purposes, meaning they're kind of they're not really speaking at the same level to each other, and so they exactly. really don't understand what's going on between each exactly. other. Exactly. It's like that. And there's so much wasted effort and wasted time, and also twisted effort and dangerous effort that comes from people not really knowing what they're talking about, you know? And one thing I was wondering about, because I liked the way Robert Bella talked about how each stage of, of religious evolution presented on the one hand more freedom and more kind of individuation or, or differentiation yeah. and then yeah. the other hand it presented all these new issues or tensions or you talked about them as anxieties yeah yeah that's right i mean in a way it's an interesting thing to just just to take the index of anxiety it would appear that the earliest human religions existed in societies with a minimum of anxiety you know tremendous sense of belonging less of a, a fear of death, and so on and so forth. And as the religions have evolved, and as human self-consciousness has evolved, because it's really one evolution, right? The evolution of human religion and the evolution of human self-consciousness is really the same thing. As that's evolved, there's much more anxiety and alienation as we've been become more autonomous and more responsible for our own sense of who and what our lives are. And now, you know, anxiety is really uh, a problem of epidemic proportions in our societies. So that's why we need an evolution of religion that returns us more to a sense of belonging and to a sense of community and to a sense of connection to one another because we desperately need that to, re to reduce our anxiety. Right, and what's interesting using a developmental model is that wouldn't happen by going back to say pre-language religion but it, it would be by going forward somehow. Exactly, yeah, you, you can't, can't unknow what you know and, and this is the great fallacy of the, of the fundamentalist religions is that they all claim and this is true across all the traditions uh, when you study uh, you know, read religious scholarship about the fundamentalist traditions, they all claim to be going back to an earlier stage that was abandoned, and, and so they're all sort of against the modern world. But in fact, none of them are going back to an earlier stage. They're all new creations based on the fiction that they're returning to a past. You can't really return to a past. You know, a mid-age crisis of somebody who tries to pretend that they're young again is sadly pathetic, you know. So you have to go forward, and, and, uh, and you have to take responsibility for that, and you have to think about it. One other thing I found kind of interesting was in reading that article, or reading your talk, where you talked about this, you made some connections between Buddhism as it's changed and evolved, and then this evolution of religion that's kind of yeah, more general. Yeah. And I thought it was really fascinating, you talked about early Buddhism as being uh, what Bella would call a historic religion, in that it was universal by nature and that it really emphasized the split like you're talking about between this yeah. world and ultimate reality, which in the yes. early Buddhism's samsara and nirvana. And mm -hmm. uh, I was wondering if you could say a little bit about that and also 
how you see Buddhism changing because historic religion in Bella's schema is really just the third of five stages that he kind of talks about. Well, yeah, that's right. Uh, thanks for reminding me about that because that was one of the important points of the article was why Buddhism has a particularly uh, unique role to play at this point in the evolution of religions. And I think it's because Buddhism comes to the West pretty late. I mean, Christianity went to the East in the 19th century, uh, so it was it was absorbed uh, in that period. But Buddhism comes to the West in the modern in the postmodern period, and it comes without really any of its cultural trappings. I mean, as much as Westerners will try to emulate the Eastern cultures from which Buddhism comes, and as much as Westerners sometimes complain that, oh, this is too Japanese or this is too Tibetan, in fact, 90% of the cultural baggage, the way that religion is embedded in the society, is missing, which means that the religion can be viewed fresh. It inevitably will be viewed fresh, whether you like it or not, because it just doesn't come with all that history and all that embeddedness in the culture. And so it becomes a very powerful catalyst for a new view of religion. Besides, the whole approach of Buddhism is really different because it's not a theistic religion. It's more of a religion focused on, by and large, human suffering than it is on the absolute, per se. It's very different from what we're used to uh, seeing as religion, and because of that, it can give us a very different look at our own religions. And this is something that the Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh, the great sort of Buddhist sages of the era, have both said and have both promoted. And not because of anything particularly great about Buddhism. Uh, I mean, I think Buddhism is very great, but just the historical accident of Buddhism being introduced to the West at this particular period when religion is in a state of flux and needs to be re-envisioned. It has a special role to play, I think, in that re-envisioning. And also because, in a way, the avant-garde of Buddhism is now Buddhism in the West, and even in Asia, where Buddhism is practiced, it's been influenced by Westerners' approaches to Buddhism. So, in other words, if you go to a monastery in Burma, even if everybody in the monastery is all Burmese, they're aware of, and it's embedded now in their culture, of the West and, and of how the West views Buddhism, and that has influenced the leading monastic innovators in all the Asian traditions were innovating, influenced by the West somehow. So this means that Buddhism is, is changing and developing out of its previous incarnation uh, into a kind of postmodern style of Buddhism, uh, different in the West than in the East, but in both cases doing that. So it's a very interesting time for Buddhism and for religion in general. One last question I had to try to tie together or weave together some of the different things we've talked about is just to ask how you see, on the one hand, this notion of plan A and plan B, plan A being, of course, teaching Buddhism kind of in its more Buddhist-flavored way, and Plan B being all the things that you mentioned earlier of T 
teaching in businesses and teaching as kind of meditation coaches instead of just traditional teacher mm-hmm. role and all these different ways of, of translating the language that it's not a Buddhist language as much as it is a more secular language that still has potency and power. And I'm wondering how these two, Plan A and Plan B, relates to what we've been talking about as the evolution of religion. Do they fit together? Do they make sense together? Obviously, you're interested in both, so they, I'm guessing yeah. in your mind there's a thread that connects them. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that is the whole idea. Plan B is religion outside the box. But it is religion. Right now, I think the way that the world views it is that Plan B is secular and Plan A is religion. When we get to the place where we all realize there is no Plan A and Plan B, there's just religious life, and religious life has many, many different manifestations and many different languages and many different applications, and that it all works together, and that every human being by nature of being human, by nature of having language and thought, is a religious person. There are no non-religious persons, as far as I'm concerned. If you're born, and you die, and you're trying to understand how to love in this lifetime, you are a religious person. To me, that's the place where I'd like to see us go, and I think that's where we are going. And uh, this sort of differentiation between Plan B and Plan A is a kind of stage in that development, but I think it will come together. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information, and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community, and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.